brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, weight gain. Maybe you think they're just part of getting older, but Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all connect to menopause. It's at the root of dozens of symptoms we experience, not just hot flashes. Midi clinicians are menopause experts offering safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Blood on the Rocks. I'm your host, Akshay Taylor, and today I am joined by... Hello, I'm Elliot. <laughs> <laughs> right, so, do you want to say a bit about yourself? So, I'm, I'm Elliot, I'm a friend of Akshay's from university, we uh, met a couple of years ago now, and uh, so. yeah, I've been, been listening to the podcast, it's the very first one, and uh, eventually I've managed to come on it, so here I am. Yeah, that's like, yeah, I think you're actually one of my biggest fans of Bellium. Oh, so. absolutely. <laughs> I listen to every single podcast on the day of release, every oh, single time. I'm very flattered. I <laughs> yes. love you so much, actually. Oh, thank you. Uh, yes, so um, what are you going to be telling me about today? So, um, I am going to be talking about the serial killer that got me interested in true crime, which is the Zodiac Killer. It's always a good one. Yes, it's always a good story, and one you haven't covered yet, so I thought... Uh, Thought I'd take the chance to uh, cover the Zodiac. Yeah, it's interesting because um, I I recognise any reference to him. Mm, but I still know nothing about him. Yeah, it's one of the fa- <laughs> it's one of the most famous serial killing stories out there. Uh, but there's quite a lot of interesting sort of little details that a lot of people don't know. I think it's one of the interesting one, story. Yeah. It's one of those I got I got me into it as well because mm. of the uh, Robert Downey Judy film. Yes. Yes. But yes, uh, and I'm going to be talking about one of my favourite badasses from history. Mm-hmm. A dude called Galvarino. Oh. I feel like I might be able to actually pronounce names this time, but I haven't actually checked their pronunciation first. Well, it's going to be better than Madagascan in Japanese, so... <laughs> You're not wrong. I I try my best, but I apologise for nothing. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, so what are you drinking today? I am drinking uh, lemonade and mango vodka. It's such a good choice. I'm actually Ooh. quite jealous. It's a good drink. It's a very good drink. Yes, I have my... One of, one of the wines I've been saving since the last uh, Birmingham Horicon, it's a red wine called Dominion Dracula, and it's su- and it's such a nice bottle. It is it's a very like, nice bottle. It's embossed and everything. Yeah. Where's it's, it from? It's a Shiraz. Where's it from? It's from uh, Romania. Romanian. Yeah. I know nothing about wine, so... Uh... It's co- I, I like the description on the back. Uh, okay, I'm going to read it. Okay. So... Hot, endless whispers harvested from the trembling red lips in the middle of the night tell the story of the cold, dark grapes, blood rushing in the veins of those brave enough to indulge themselves into the powerful reign of the legendary Dracula. Interesting. Uh, it's got a description as well. Uh, mm-hmm. Colour, dark purple. Yeah, that's pretty accurate. Nose, complex aromas of blackcurrant with fine spice and oak notes. Taste, full-bodied with firm tannins, pleasant taste, and fruity notes of black pepper. Would Would you agree with that that uh, um, analysis of the wine? I mean, I know people that would like this. Yeah, but I do not like this. Not your kind of wine. <laughs> it's not for me. But yes. Anyway, 
we are going to cut to promos. Mm-hmm. Uh, this week, it's for Murder Mile and Good Nightmares, two podcasts that I enjoy very much. Though Good Nightmares is like short, creepy stories, like there's nice. a lot of fer- like fairy tale origins and stuff. Oh, nice! And, I, and she's very nice to me. Yeah, and, and I like her a lot. And uh, Murder Mile, it's basically loads of uh, small, relatively less known crimes within like a one mile radius in London. Oh wow! Okay. And it's super cool. Yeah. Um, yes, and anyway, we'll cut to promos and mm-hmm. we'll be right back. Hey everyone, this is Sarah from Good Nightmare Podcast, a podcast where I like to talk about all things strange and unusual, whether it's mysteries, historical crimes, or fairy tale origins. I hope you'll come along for the ride and join me as we delve into some spooky tales. Happy listening. Welcome to the Murder Mile True Crime Podcast. My name is Michael, and each week I shall take you on a guided walk of hundreds of untold, unsolved, and long-forgotten murders, all set within one square mile. Proving that, if you dig deep enough, you'll find that on every street, in every city, there's a killer on every corner, death on every doorstep, and homicide in every home. Murder Mile is investigated using original police files and eyewitness testimony, with authentic sounds recorded at the murder location itself, and is accompanied by photos, videos and maps to make you feel like you're actually there. A new episode of the Murder Mile True Crime Podcast is released every Thursday on almost every podcast platform. Thank you. Enjoy your day. Okay, so let me put a spell on. Yes. Put the wine down. uh... So, uh, I give people a choice, as you know at this point. Yes, yes, I have... Uh, would you like to go first, or should I? Uh, I think you should go first this time. I want to. I want to hear uh, hear your story. Okay. 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 I'm going to be talking about a guy called Galvarino, and mm-hmm. he is one of my favourite people from history. I think. Nice. I've been to tell this one for a while, but I couldn't remember the guy's name. <laughs> and basically, he was um, a famous warrior of the Mapuche people in like um, South America, so, like Central, South Chile, and a bit of Argentina. He was around during the early part of the. Arauco, what I'm going to go with. Sure. Uh, Pick a a pronunciation, stick with it. I can decide in editing. (laughs) (laughs) Basically, this is like a war between these guys and the Spanish. Okay, so we're talking conquistadors, that sort of era. Yeah, like, I couldn't really find the time, I couldn't really find a birth thing, like, he didn't didn't really seem to be much about him before, like, he got famous. A lot of these historical figures from lesser known cultures, it's very hard to find out when they were born. Yeah, and it seems that a lot of it, uh, most of this stuff is from the um, Spanish. So. Yeah, yeah. Couldn't place exactly, but it's either Wilding, because around just after. Mm-hmm. I think there were at active conflicts within, within the Spanish and Incas yeah. at this point. Yeah. They basically came and were like, let's go into Chile and, fi- and see what's going on there. Yeah, the era of the Spanish turn up and steal things. <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> so, yeah, they show up there, and basically, this was pretty long running it went on for like mm-hmm. hundreds of years oh wow okay like it was from when it started to i think the uh like one of the wars of independence in chile okay 
uh, which is like in the 1800s. So, so you good free two, two, three hundred years of war. Yeah, and it set a lot of the stage for the current running, uh, like, I think it's called the Mapushi Conflict. I didn't put okay. my notes. Okay. So I could be lying there, but hopefully I'm right. <laughs> that area. Um, basically, he became famous uh, during this a particular battle, like, not not right at the beginning, but pretty close to it. Yeah. And it's called the Battle of Lagunless. And uh, this is battle November 8th. 1557 between a Spanish guy called uh, Garcia Hurtado de Mendoza mm-hmm. and the Mapuche army uh, based near some shallow lakes about a league south of the Bia River which is going to say second biggest river in Chile. So it's a pretty big river. Yeah, quite a big dividing line. Yeah, so like, the important strategic positions. Yeah. this I'll go into this battle a bit um, because I was like I could, I could just talk about him but I might as well talk yeah. about some context as well. Yeah, I need to know the context. It's one of these things people don't tend to know about conflicts in 1500 South America, so... Uh... I, mean, I didn't want to just be reading from one page, you know? I was yeah, like, yeah. I did my research. <laughs> Smug. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so basically, um, when Mendoza was invading the, the Mapuche territory, they basically and organised a defence, uh, basically by, by gathering forces in three places. Mm-hmm. Uh, one was a, like, a fort at the height of the... And the Lucan area. Yeah. Which is about five leagues south of the Bay of Conce- Concepcion, where the Spanish were coming from, were basically settled. Yeah. Coming from. And basically, it covered a big upper approach. So big. Um, and the rest of them were gathered a bit a bit close to them, like uh, near places called Milaracupe and Tucapel. Mm hmm. I think I'm doing okay so far. Yeah, those pronunciations sound reasonable. <laughs> Mendoza had much more. A much better equipped army than fishes. Um, like well, yeah, metal armor and, and guns. Yeah, guns. Will guns against win. not guns yeah. is ten- tends to not be a very even fight. Yeah, and I believe they had some cannons as well. So yeah, it wasn't just a dumb conflict. Like, they, like there was actually strategy to it as well. This one. Oh, absolutely. The... Like uh, it, like on top of just the defense. Like mm. both sides were actually. Making puns and stuff. Yeah, the the South American people fought hard against the Spanish. Oh yeah, there were a lot of uh, hit and run tactics and mm, stuff going yes, on. Yes, absolutely. But the Spanish were also clever, of course. Uh, yeah, because they knew how to get shit done. They're also terrible people. Oh, absolutely, yes. absolutely. <laughs> Spanish conquistadors not known as polite in how they met the locals. <laughs> no, what they did was um, they left the bay where they were, where they were settled and marched south to the opening of the Biobio River, which they had to cross. Mm-hmm. Um, basically. To cross, uh, basically camped out and made a small force about go about five leagues upstream to cut woods and build rafts and stuff. Yeah, for a crossing, which drew the Mapuche's attention. While they made a real crossing elsewhere with uh, their with their specially crafted fleet and rafts and stuff. So they made a the distraction rafts and then real rafts somewhere else. Yeah, and Ruras carried about a thousand horses worth stuff across. The okay, that's quite a sizable army. Yep, the whole army made it across unopposed. Mm-hmm. River, so yeah, not not going great. Managed to get across the river with absolutely no resistance. Mm-hmm. So. And they made it across and basically made it, went about a league further south. I'm still not sure how big a league is. A league, um, yeah, it's about an hour's walk, so about three miles. Cool. But there's various different definitions of league all around the world. Well, a league anyway. Mm-hmm. About a league south of this river. Uh, some shallow lakes at the foot of some wooded mountains. And basically he camped out there with uh, sending out a small amount of cavalry out to go mm-hmm. scout. And a guy called Captain Reynoso to basically figure out where they're going to go the next day. This small force basically came sight of the of one of the Mapuche forces on the uh, Andelican area thing. Mm-hmm. Near the fort, basically. And basically they fell back and tried to delay them while sending word back so people yeah. could actually get reinforcements. Yeah. Which was planned by the Mapuche. 
actually. Okay. Play because what they had, what happened was basically they had they had another army waiting in ambush. Yeah, it's a classic collapsing defense. Yeah. However, um, unfortunately for them, there were a pair of Spanish soldiers that were left camp without orders uh, uh-huh. to, gather, to gather some fruit, and basically they accidentally came across this massive Mapuche force. Right. Um, <laughs> and went. I managed to go back and uh, bring word to the camp. One of them was killed, but um, one of them did manage to get away. Okay, yeah. Uh, which was unfortunate. Yes, yes, slightly <laughs> unfortunate. Went for a snack, ended up finding an army. The Spanish rulers were quite outnumbered, but they had uh, guns and artillery. Yeah, gun- guns and cannons. Pretty useful. Yeah, so which broke up the Mapuche attacks mm. but quite well. Um, I didn't write that down. How could I not have written that down? That's dumb of me. <sighs> Quick Google break. Well, actually, it finds out how many people there were. And I, I had a quick Google. Yeah, the, the, the Mapuche conflict is still going on mm. between the Chilean state and the Mapuche people. Yeah, I was right. Okay, there we go. We're good. We're good. When I say outnumbered, it was like 530 Spanish cavalry. Okay. Uh, 200 arquebusiers with uh, with five artillery pieces. Okay. So guns and artillery. Yeah. Arteries, and about 4,000 Indian auxiliary troops. So okay. slaves and stuff. So you got 4,000 locals... About 700 Spanish with guns yeah, and five so, cannons. Um, less than 5,000. Yeah. Well, against about 8,000 to 12,000 Mapushi. Okay. So a bit Who are also fighting on home soil and know the area. And This will give you an idea of how brutal uh, guns versus non-guns are. Mm. Okay. Because basically uh, the artillery broke, broke up these attacks and the cavalry uh, were trained to exploit the disorder. Yeah. So they just charged in and just yeah. kind of wrecked them yeah um, like how how close to the beginning of the conflict was this this was right near the start right yeah pretty much so these are people who are not only being shot at with guns but also just discovering that guns exist yeah and potentially I mean, discovering that horses they, exist as well I, they would have known from the Incan conflicts though yeah um, because there there would have been previous conflicts mm. but I guess for a lot of these people it would have been the first time they were seeing a yeah. gun was it being oh, fired yeah. at them yeah which is the way of a lot of history, I think. Oh, yeah, absolutely. A lot of colonialism is people turn up with guns and then suddenly they find out what guns are. Yeah. Yeah, the cavalry basically um, charged in, making very effective use yeah. of their weapons. Yeah, cavalry uh, against a shattered formation. And based and officially got driven back into a marsh, mm-hmm. and followed by footmen and stuff. And, yeah, it didn't go so well for them. No, no, it doesn't sound like it did. Now, uh, but they... Was still, but the Spanish were still pretty scared of ambush, so they were just yeah. like, so they, in the late afternoon they returned with prisoners. Now, um, it was 300 Mapuche killed in this battle, with uh, 150 captured. In comparison, yeah. guess how many Spanish were killed? Was it like one or two? It was, it was uh, two Spaniards killed, with many seriously wounded. Okay. Does that include the one that was attacked whilst, capturing, whilst gathering berries? I believe so. Okay, so there was one died in the battle... When they killed 150 natives. And no, they killed 300. Killed 300, they captured another 150. Yeah. Okay. A bit one-sided then. A little bit. And yeah, one of the people that was were captured was Galvarino. Aha. Uh-huh. The people that I was going to talk about. Before, like, just a bit, of, a bit more context before we actually get into exactly mm-hmm. why, he was, why he became famous. Yeah. Um, which I think you're going to love, by the way. Okay. After this big defeat, uh, the, the Mpushi guys... Uh, decided to unite in the, in the Great Council mm-hmm. uh, kind of thing in the Pilmacan Mountains with the objective of basically unifying the military and they're like one guy. Okay. Um, basically by electing a war chief or a toki. Okay. 
the guy who Copelican was um, chosen due to a lot because you have to have a lot of physical strength and yeah. uh, show a lot of bravery yeah. in battle, and he had to beat out fewer people to do it. Now, quite literally beat them, or no? But uh, guess that there was a trial. Okay, can take a guess what it was? Oh, was it, I? I'm imagining like. South American Ninja Warrior or something. Was this was this ancient Ninja Warrior? Um, <laughs> ancient South African Ninja Warrior. Okay, uh, no, actually, oh, wait, wait, um, you... to be fair, it was still pretty. It was still pretty uh, ridiculous from what from uh, reports mm-hmm. because it was reported that to do this, he had him and other people and the other guys to um, actually have to hold a. Creed trunk on their shoulders for two days and one night without fainting. Okay. <laughs> How big a tree trunk? Does, do, do we have record of what size tree they were No, carrying? but it says a thick tree trunk. Okay. So, I assume... And we're talking South America, so these are pretty big trees they have in South America. And... Yeah, probably. Okay, um, so these, these guys are pretty strong then, they're carrying around trees for This a guy of did days. not skip gym days. And yeah, so basically that was going on this time as well. Uh, just so you know who Corpulent yeah. is. So basically, he was like his general. So he was—he was the war chief. He was leading yeah. their army, and they went to fight the Spanish. Yep. Now we need to go back to the prisoners that were taken, mm-hmm. uh, so Galvarino included. And basically, um, they took them all in to see the governor, uh, yeah. Garcia Hurtado de Mendoza himself. Uh huh. And basically, as punishment for insurrection, some of the prisoners were basically sentenced to amputation of their right hand and nose. Now, according to a guy called Alonso de Silla, who was like one of this Spanish group, yeah, I think he was like a, he was one of a soldier and uh, yeah. also like a poet. Okay, like that. so he's keeping records. Whilst Something he was like in the that. Army. I, yeah, I can't. Yeah, either way, he was he kept some records. Yeah, and basically, uh, according to him, when they when they took Galvarino as basically like an indigenous leader of his group, mm-hmm. they cut off his left hand, and apparently he didn't flinch, uh, and he extended his other hand. Which okay. They, which they also cut off. Right. And then apparently he offered his neck, which and they but um they let him go after he asked for death. I was gonna say this is gonna be a pretty short story if they chopped his head off as well. No. Uh, so so this guy voluntarily had both of his hands cut off. Well, well one was, of them was yeah. involuntary, but Yeah, so and they then basically let him and the rest of the prisoners go as a basically warning that these guys would fuck him up. Yeah, so he chopped some hands off and then like Go back to the rest of them. Like, they already lost the battle yeah. tremendously, and then they decided to prisoners. Yeah. So, however, it didn't work like that, because they were like, what the fuck? We have to, like, we can't do, we can't stand for this. Yeah, 150 <laughs> guys come back missing hands, and uh, yeah. funnily enough, that's going to annoy them even more yeah. than being invaded. So basically, uh, he returned to Mephushi, um and basically came for this council wall, and... Uh, Cal Pollocan himself. And basically, for his story, he started basically trying to go for a story of uh, crying out for justice and stuff. Mm-hmm. And basically, and getting the Mapuche people together. Yeah. And he was named by the council to command a squadron in the next battle. Without any hands. Yeah. Okay. Now, do you want to know how he did this? Yeah, I- I'm looking forward to hearing how he fought in a battle without any hands. He fastened knives to both of his stumps. He tied knives to his... So he replaced his hands with knives. Yes. Okay. Uh, I'm not... Now, it's hard to say exactly how big these knives are. They're, yeah, but... Like, personally, I, I always pitched them as, like, ki- like big kitchen knives, maybe. Yeah, I, However... I'm guessing he chose some fairly <laughs> sizable knives if he's going to battle with them. However, they have been described as lances. Lances? Okay. 
Um, which I thought you'd enjoy because it's not the most anime shit you've ever heard. You're yeah, like, like, like a guy decides to go to a battle with two lancers that are all that maybe knives of potentially any size due to lack of historical record keeping. Yeah, but you're not going to pick tiny knives if you're going to a battle. Like, mm-hmm. And he led a squadron like that. Okay, I bet he's quite an inspiring leader. Like, look at me, I haven't got any hands, but I have got some knives. Mm-hmm. So. So yeah, and he fought next to Kapolik himself in a lot of battles um, in the following campaign until the Battle of Malarapoi, mm-hmm. where they did lose, but not before he managed to strike down the number two in command. With his knife hands? Yes. Okay. Now, uh, there's a few quotes. So they're doing significantly better than the first time, then, if they actually managed to fight, rather than all just getting killed and running away. Yeah. Uh, there were a few quotes that he said as well like mm-hmm. um, apparently one of the things he said to his people were um, my brothers why have you stopped attacking these Christians seeing manifest damage that from the day they entered our kingdom until the day they have done and are doing and they still will do to you what you see that they have done and they are doing and still they will do to you what you see that they have done to me cut your hands off and if you are not diligent in making the most of wrecking destruction on these uh, injurious people for us or our children and women. So it was just like... Okay. He was, so he's basically he's like... quite an eloquent leader. Yeah. But... Stand up like stand up for stuff or you'll get your hands cut off, basically. Yeah. yeah just Owing in... to past experience seems pretty accurate. Like... Yeah. It was pretty intense. Mm. Also, before the, like, before the battle, he was said to have been like, yeah, my brothers, see that you all fight very well. You do not want to be as I am without hands. So that you will not be able to work nor eat. If you do not give it to them. And he raised those arms on high. I'm quoting still. Showing them to fight with more spirits and saying to them, Those that you are going to fight with, cut them. And also will do to whichever of you they take. And nobody is allowed to flee but to die. Because you die defending your mother country. Apparently moved ahead uh, of the squadron to a distance and basically said, Don't, he would die first. And though he no longer had hands, that he would do what he could with his teeth. Okay then. <laughs> Yeah, I, I I think we can c- forgive him some slightly clunky speech because I have a feeling this speech was given in his native language and then recorded probably in Spanish and then translated from Spanish to English. And so that's possibly why it sounds a little clunky, but uh, I think we get the gist. Like, this yeah. guy was not going to go down without a fight. Pretty much. You did not... Like, this guy was a fucking badass. Mm. And he, he clearly knew how to motivate his people because like, if you chop off the hands of people who are living in effectively a subsistence farming... Mm-hmm. Civilization, like these people, most of them will not have been professional soldiers. They'll have been farmers and craftsmen and other things who are just fighting because their country been invaded. So chopping off their hands is pretty bad because they can't do anything. Mm-hmm. So yeah, basically the way this next battle went down was um, once again unfortunate for the Mushu people. I feel like this is going to be a recurring theme. They uh, basically uh, they made a big error during like during the Spanish were basically uh, encamped at the Milara place where the battle went down. Yeah, um, on November twenty ninth, and basically um, the Mapuche were just like will hide and ambush them at dawn the next day. Okay, yeah. However, the next day was unfortunately for the Mapuche. Yeah, basically the day Spanish uh, celebrated something called the Day of San Andres. One of the celebrations included a uh, celebratory morning call of trumpets. Okay, I see where this is going. <laughs> yeah, basically, this was misinterpreted as the as the Mapuche being found out. 
Yeah. So they basically the Mephushi just attacked straight away. Mm-hmm. All out of order. Yeah, because they thought they'd been discovered when actually they were just trumpeting for festivals. Yeah, so, um, and basically this battle lasted from dawn to early afternoon. Okay. So a pretty, pretty long fairly one. long battle, though. Yeah, um, they said Galvarino's force was uh, defeated after about an hour, mm. uh, because they were right in the front. Yeah, it was leading the charge. Yeah. Against an encampment. Yep. And, okay, so by the time Mephushi were uh, defeated, and this was... A battle between, come to Wikipedia, more than 600 Spaniards mm-hmm. versus more than 20,000 Fushi. Okay, so quite a disparity in forces here. Yeah. yeah. It's basically a big force versus a horizon. Yeah. So you've got, <laughs> got 600 people in a camp and then 20,000 natives. Yep. And what's going to show how much better the Spanish's equipment was. Yeah. Because... Do we have any information about what sort of weapons and armour the Mapuche had? It it was pretty uh, traditional. It was only hand to hand. Are we talking metal weapons or are we yeah, are I, stone weapons? I'm not think, sure how advanced they were. I think metal weapons. Yeah, uh, but definitely spears. Yeah. Okay. Like, I've seen pictures of them with spears and stuff. Yeah. So, uh, so we're talking probably not very much armor and spears. Yeah. Against armored Spaniards with guns. Yeah. So yeah, basically by the end of it, they'd lost three thousand dead and eight hundred captured. Well. The Spanish, according to the Wikipedia, says casualties and losses, some wounded and many horses dead. Right. Yeah, so 600 Spanish captured 800 Mapuche after killing 3,000 of them. Yeah. Yeah. I have to wonder what they're doing with the prisoners, because they've got quite a number of prisoners at this point. Mm. Like... Um, well, a lot of them were from slaves. Mm, yeah. And captured leaders were hanged. Yeah. Yeah. It's rumoured that Galvarino was thrown to the dogs, but it's more likely that he was also hanged. Yeah. Oh, so uh, he, he was one of the captured ones. Yeah, like, the rumour, the, like, it was rumoured that, um, after basically, uh, being offered mercy. Yeah. He was like, nah. Yeah, he doesn't seem to be the sort of person that would like mercy. So and basically that was after that was rumored that Mendoza um, basically ordered them to be thrown to the dogs. Right. Uh, Alonso de, de uh, Silla basically explained that the real death was just by hanging. Yeah. Um. In an, in one of his books. So that was Galvarino anyway. Galvarino, the guy that lost his hands, then attached knives to them, and then got killed. Yeah. That is a pretty brave guy. Like, I, I read it, like, a while back. Mm. I think it was, like, a year ago, first yeah. him, and I was like, that's actually fucking amazing. <laughs> yeah. Like, knife hands. Yeah, knife hands. I love shit like that. But yeah, anyway, so, we'll cut to music, yeah. and then we'll be back with the Zodiac Killer. Yes. It's true that some things change as we get older, but if you're a woman over 40 and you're dealing with insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, and weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. And with MIDI Health, you can get help and stop pushing through it alone. The experts at MIDI understand that all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes that happen around menopause. And MIDI can help you feel more like yourself again. Many healthcare providers aren't trained to treat or even recognize menopause symptoms. MIDI clinicians are menopause experts. They're dedicated to providing safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions for dozens of hormonal symptoms not just hot flashes. Most importantly, they're covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. You deserve to feel great. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. 
That's joinmidi.com. And we are back. So, uh, Elliot, do you want to take it away? Yes. So, um, we're going from the 1500s, actually. We're going forwards about 400 years to the mid-20th century and uh, a bit north to California, where we find the Zodiac Killer. So, this is a story that most of you, well, a lot of you, I feel, probably familiar with. And it's a really good one. So, oh, uh, man, it's... It's ridiculous. Yes, the the Zodiac Killer was was never caught, as I'm sure you're aware, and no one's actually quite sure how many people he killed. There are five confirmed Zodiac murders, but he claimed in a letter that he killed 37 people. What happened to those other 32, whether they're true or not, who knows? The first murder happened on the 20th of December, 1968, on a place called Lake Herman Road, which was well-known as a sort of lover's lane uh, in California. And the victims were two high school students called David Faraday and Betty Lou Jensen. They were out on a first date, and they were in David's car. They'd been to a restaurant, and uh, they drove out to this this road, which was well-known as a lover's lane, uh, and parked the car around 10.15pm. And then 45 minutes later, at 11pm, a woman who lived nearby found uh, went down this road and found two bodies. She found uh, David in the car, at this point still alive, and Betty 30 feet from the car. So yeah, the, obviously she called the police and the ambulance and they arrived, and David, when they got there, was found to be still alive, uh, but he died on the way to hospital. At this point, they had no idea that this was the work of a serial killer, this was the first murder, and so it was just put down as an unexplained murder. Until 1969. Uh, so we skip forward now seven months to the 4th of July, Independence Day, 1969, and a park called Blue Rock Springs, which is only a few minutes away from where the first murder happened. And uh, we have a few more details this time, because one of the victims actually survived. Oh, wow. So the the Zodiac was seen approaching the couple uh, with a flashlight and a handgun, and he shot at them. They were found a little while later, and uh, when... They were, taken, they were both alive when police arrived. Unfortunately, Darlene died pretty quickly afterwards. Uh, fortunately, though, Michael survived and so managed to provide a reasonable description of the killer. Hmm. He said he was a young white male, uh, somewhere between 26 and 30, of stocky build, over 200 pounds in weight, about 5 foot 8 tall, had light brown curly hair and a large face. And an hour after this murder happened, someone phoned the police department and claimed to be the shooter and claimed responsibility for the first murder as well. Mm. Uh, obviously, he didn't give a name or anything, but at this point, they started to think there may be a serial killer. There's two murders. And so then, just under a month later, three letters arrived on the editor's desk of the San Francisco Chronicle, the San Francisco Examiner, uh, the Vallejo Times Herald, which are three newspapers in the area. Each of the letters was identical and had specific details about the murders in some of which hadn't been made public. So they knew immediately when they showed them to the police that these were from the murderer. And each one contained a third of a 
character ciphertext in a mixture of letters and symbols. Okay. This, the Zodiac, as we'll find out later, was much a fan of ciphers. Uh, this one was cracked. The other ciphers he provided never were. So yeah, the letter, part of the letter, which I'm going to read to you, said the, com- the killer demanded that the three newspapers publish their parts of the codes in their newspapers. Otherwise, he would cruise around all weekend, killing lone people in the night, then move on to kill again until I end up with a dozen people over the weekend. Well. Yeah. So, um, funnily enough, the San Francisco Chronicle went first, and they published their part of the code the following day, so the 2nd of August 1969, with a letter from Jack Stiltz, who was the head of the Vallejo police, saying that they weren't satisfied that the letters were real, and that the killer should write another letter with more proof as to their identity. Obviously, at this point, the police probably were pretty sure that they were real with the details, but they wanted the killer to try and give themselves up. Yes. So, the killer obliged. And a week later, on the 7th of August, the examiner got another letter. So yeah, they received a, th- a second letter, uh, which started, Dear Editor, this is the Zodiac speaking. And it had a few more details about the crimes in, which made it pretty obvious that this was from the genuine killer. And the day after this, uh, the code was actually cracked. So the other two newspapers have published their parts of the code as well. And a couple called Donald and Becky Hardin, who lived in California, managed to crack the code. I didn't actually manage to find any information about what the sort of cipher was. I'm kind of interested in that kind of thing. Yeah. So I'm going to have to go away and do some more research. But but they they managed to break the code. Uh, apart from the last 18 characters, which appear to be nonsense. But the I, I have it here, I'm going to read it out to you. It's very poorly spelled. I can't get over how bad the spelling is in an audio form. But it, lo- look it up. It's pretty poorly spelled. But the letter, the code said this. It said, I like killing people because it's so much fun. It's more fun than killing wild game in the forest because man is the most dangerous animal of all to kill. Something gives me the most thrilling experience. It is even better than getting your rocks off with a girl. The best part of it is that when I die, I'll be reborn in paradise, and they I have killed will become my slaves. I I will not give you my name, because then you will try and slow down or stop my collecting of slaves for the afterlife. That's so creepy. I don't remember. Yeah. Yeah. So... Okay, I don't know half as much about this guy than I thought he did. Mm. Yeah, so he left this code, and he apparently thought he was collecting slaves for the afterlife by killing them, which tells you a few things about the the murderer, but nothing enough to for them to have any idea who this person was. Yeah, this was obviously a mystery, and people were getting quite concerned at this point. You're getting letters to newspapers from a mysterious serial killer who had already killed two people, uh, killed three people even. And seriously injured another one. And so another a month later, we're now getting into September. So the 27th of September, 1969, there was another murder. Cecilia Shepherd, who was 22, and Brian Hartnold, who was 20, were having a picnic on the shores of Lake Barriassa when Cecilia noticed that there was a man watching them from behind a tree. And so they carried on having their picnic, not thinking anything was up. And a short while later, this man emerged from behind a tree, but now wearing an executioner's hood. Wait, what? An executioner's hood. So like a black hood with a chest piece on it. And on the chest piece, there was the symbol that the Zodiac had been signing his letters with, which was a crosshair symbol, so a circle with a cross through it, which became known as the symbol of the Zodiac, and was also used by the Zodiac Watch Company, as we will uh, find out is potentially relevant later on. Okay. So this guy had adopted this symbol. Uh, and so he emerged in this park in broad daylight, in this hood, 
And this time, rather than carrying a gun, he had a knife with him. And he had a knife and rope. And so he tied up the couple and attacked them repeatedly with knives. Again, Cecilia was killed. Uh, but Brian managed to survive despite being stabbed six times in the back. Holy shit. Yeah. Um, That's so, a trooper. Yeah. Uh, unfortunately, unfortunately, he did manage to survive, so he managed to provide another description, which was that this guy was five foot eight to six foot tall, uh, heavy set, weighed somewhere between 225 and 250 pounds, and he had dark brown hair, which you could see through the eye holes of the uh, the hood he was wearing. Okay. So that seems pretty similar to the first description. About yeah. the same height, brown hair, fairly heavy, uh, stocky build. And when the, the police came to the scene, they managed to find a message left on the side of Brian's car in black paint with the dates of the three murders so far, and under the last one, the words, by knife. So whoever did this... That's I, creepy. Yeah. Is either a very committed copycat or knew exactly what was going on. So... At this point, still no leads at all on the Zodiac. And so now we're going to get to the point where the Zodiac was very almost caught. Hit me. The fourth murder on the 11th of October, 1969. A cab driver picks up a man uh, near Union Square in San Francisco. And if anyone's familiar with San Francisco, it gets asked to be taken to Washington and Maple Street in Pasquito Heights. The cab driver drives one block further than this for some unknown reason. At which point, the passenger pulls out a gun and shoots the, pla- the, the driver, Paul Stein, in the head with a 9mm pistol. He took the wallet and keys, as well as ripping a piece off, st- off uh, the victim's shirt and running away. We oh. know this because there were three teenagers across the street who saw it all happen and reported it immediately to the police whilst it was still going on at 9.55pm, whilst the murderer was wi- wiping down the cab and walking towards the north. So the teenagers described the man as a white male adult between 25 and 30, 5 foot 8 to 5 foot 9, a stocky build with a red-brown crew cut and heavy-rimmed glasses to, to the police dispatcher, which seems pretty, pretty much like the other descriptions. Yeah. Unfortunately, for some unknown reason, when the dispatcher passed this on to the police cars in the local area, they said that the man was black. So they made a mistake. They relayed every bit of detail correctly, apart from saying it was a black man. And so two police officers that were in the area drove past. And later on... That's um, not nice. No. Later on, after finding out the true details, believed they drove right past the Zodiac Killer. Because they noticed him walking into a park. And he matched it, but they ignored him because they because they thought they were looking for a black man. Oh wow, that's even yeah. worse. Holy so he shit. came he came within meters of being caught, but because of the error that the police dispatchers made, he wasn't, and he managed to get away. And so it was after this murder that the the most famous composite sketch of the Zodiac Killer was made. Uh, the one that spawned the internet joke that the Zodiac Killer was Ted Cruz time traveling. Because if you haven't seen this picture, it looks exactly like Ted Cruz. I have seen it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> fortunately for Ted Cruz's reputation, this happened a long time he was born, let alone before he was of murdering. I think it'd be funny if it happened when he was, like, six. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, this this happened before he was born, but this like, guy looks exactly like Ted Cruz. Um, so this guy was... The drawing was done from interviews with the teenagers that saw the the murder and does look fairly different to the... 
to the man from the first three murders, who's not nearly as stocky of build, and his hair's a little bit different, which has led some people to suggest that this the first three murders may have been done by one person, and the rest may be a copycat killer of some kind. Because there were Zodiac copycats in other parts of the country, although the general belief is that it probably was the same person that did all of the Zodiac killings in San Francisco. So yeah, and after this, the San Francisco gets another letter a few days later on the 14th of October. So three days later, the San Francisco Chronicle gets another letter from the Zodiac killer, and inside the envelope with the letter is a piece of Paul Stein's shirt with his blood on it. And this letter was one that really put the people of San Francisco on edge because it had plans for homemade bombs in it and a threat that said that the the killer was going to blow up a school bus because, and I quote, school children make good targets. I might just shoot out the front tyre and then pick off the kiddies as they come bouncing out. That one I remember, that was horrendous. Yeah. So this this really scared the people of San Francisco, obviously, because this guy sent credible bomb plans and a threat to blow up a school bus. Fortunately, this never happened. Uh, He never actually did. And there were a couple of letters later on where he he said that he'd buried a bomb and it was going to go off in in the fall, and that never happened. They never found the bomb and no bomb ever went off, leading some people to believe that that one was a hoax. But because this came with a piece of Paul Stein's shirt, they were pretty sure this is from the guy that killed him. Yeah. So six days later, 20th of October 1969, at 2pm, the Oakland Police Department receive a phone call uh, from a person claiming to be the Zodiac Killer and demanding that either F. Lee Bailey or Melvin Belly, who were two prominent lawyers at the time, appeared on the AM San Francisco TV show, which was sort of a local morning news programme, the following day. Lee wasn't available, he, he wasn't in the area, but Belly was... And so he went on the show and they kept the lines open. This is, had a sort of phone in and somebody rang the show claiming to be the Zodiac killer several times and saying that his name was Sam. And he agreed to meet Belly in a place called Dally City at a specified time, uh, but then never turned up. So no one's quite sure whether this was the Zodiac killer or whether this was a hoax, um, because there's no concrete proof that this was the same person. And then so... A little bit later, there was uh, another card sent to one of the newspapers with another 340-character cryptogram on it. This was on the 8th of November 1969. Uh, But this cryptogram is to this day unsolved. So no one knows what this one means. It's believed to be some kind of information that the killer was taunting the police with, potentially something to do with his identity, but no one's ever been able to break the cipher. Um, And then the following day, on the 9th, a a seven-page letter was sent, claiming to be from the Zodiac, saying that he had an interaction with two policemen three minutes after the Stein murder, and that he actually spoke to them. Huh. Yeah. So again, there seems to be some evidence that uh, the police got really close to catching the Zodiac. Wow. But thanks to being told they were looking for a black man by an erroneous police dispatcher, didn't catch him. That's actually horrendous. Mm. And, and again, to this day, no one's been able to explain why the dispatcher made the mistake. Especially seeing as... That's fucked up, man. Yeah, especially seeing as this stuff keeps going. And so then, on the 20th of December 1969, so this is an, the one-year anniversary of the first murders, uh, Belly, the, the lawyer who went on the TV show, gets a letter with another piece of Stein's shirt in it, 
claiming to be from the Zodiac and asking Belly to help him. I didn't manage huh. to find any anything about what happened with this, but clearly the Zodiac wanted this important lawyer to help him for some reason. But funnily enough, this lawyer did not want to help a serial killer. I uh, wonder why. Yeah, funny that. So next up we have another attempted murder. This one wasn't wasn't successful, fortunately enough, of a woman called Kathleen Johns on the 22nd of March 1970. So the killer took about a three-month break of, after sending letters. And, uh, and so she was driving from San Bernardino to visit her mother. And she was seven months pregnant at the time, had a 10-month-old daughter with her. And she was driving on the highway, and the car behind her began honking its horn at her and flashing at its headlights. So she pulled over to the road, um, to see what was going on, and uh, so did the man in the car behind them. And he approached uh, the car and said to her that he'd noticed that her right wheel was wobbling and offered to help sort it out for her. And so obviously she thought this was just a kindly passing not- motorist uh, and so took him up on his offer. And so the man got to work on the wheel and then drove off. And so then when Johns got back into her car and pulled forward to get back on the road, the wheel almost immediately fell off her car. So clearly this guy had been trying to sabotage her car, not fix it. And funnily enough, the guy then came back and offered to give her a lift to the nearest gas station for, for some help. And the woman agreed. So she and her Why? daughter got into this guy's car who just made the wheel fall off. And so during this car ride, the guy passed several service stations, but he didn't stop. Of course he didn't. And for about 90 minutes, he drove backwards and forwards along the back roads near a place called Tracy. Um, that's, that's fucked up. That, yeah. That's really fucked yeah. up. And when Kathleen asked him why he wasn't stopping, he just changed the subject. And so finally, he stopped at a junction. And uh, so Johns took her chance. She jumped out of the car with her daughter and ran off into a field uh, that was next to the road. Good call. So the driver also got out of the car. And went into this field with a torch to look for her. But fortunately for her, she ma- he managed to not find her. And uh, he got back into his car and drive off. So eventually she came out of the field once she was sure he'd gone. And, he- and she managed to hitch a ride with somebody else to a police station in the, t- in the town of Patterson. That's so lucky. Yeah. She gave a statement to the uh, duty sergeant in the police station and noticed on the wall in the police station uh, the composite sketch of Paul Stein's murderer, the Zodiac Killer, ah. and immediately said to the policeman, that's the guy that abduct- abducted me. Oh, shit. Yeah. So fearing that the, that the Zodiac Killer might be coming back for them, seeing that this woman had spent 90 minutes in a car with the Zodiac Killer unmasked, um, the police were worried that he might come back and try and kill her. So the sergeant on duty had her wait at a nearby restaurant until the morning to make sure nothing was going to happen. And eventually uh, her car was found and it had been gutted and set on fire. So... Holy shit. Yeah. Some people suggest that uh, he threatened to kill her whilst she was in the car, but um, the, at least one of the police reports dispute that and say that she, he didn't do that. And the account, the account that says he went to look for her comes from the San Francisco Chronicle. However, one of the reports that she made the police said he stayed in the car. So there's a little bit of confusion over the facts here. Yeah. But this woman had almost just been killed. So I wouldn't be surprised if she got a little bit 
confused with what was going on. But yeah, so this was the I mean, closest. People like to stretch the truth, you know. Yeah, exactly. Like um, newspapers. Yeah. So who was telling the truth, who wasn't? But it's almost certain that this woman had a 90-minute car ride with the Zodiac Killer. I'd believe her over the newspapers. Yeah, exactly. So, so then the for the rest of 1970, there weren't any more murders or attempted murders, uh, but the Zodiac continued to exchange letters with the press. On, on the 20th of April, he sent a, a famous letter that said, my name is, and then a 13-character cipher, which has also not been solved. Uh, and oh, he man. also he went on to state that he was not responsible for the bombing of a police station in San Francisco, but added, there is more glory to killing a cop than a Sid, because a cop can shoot back. Uh, wow. Yeah, and this this was the letter uh, that he put the, uh, the the diagram of the bomb that he was going to use to blow up a bus in, which he never used. I'm sure that went down well. Yeah, I'm sure that was very, very popular. And at the bottom of the diagram, he used he signed it with the Zodiac symbol and then put Zodiac symbol equals 10, SFPD, so the San Francisco Police Department, zero. So at this point, he's claiming the responsibility for 10 murders uh, and saying the San Francisco Police Department haven't sold any of them. Wow. Yeah. This guy was a huge narcissist. Yeah. Uh, and so then, 28th of April, so a week, just over a week later, he sent a greetings card to the San Francisco Chronicle saying, I hope you enjoy yourselves when I have my blast. It's followed by the Zodiac signature. On the back of the card, there was a threat to use the bus bomb unless the newspaper published the details that he, of what he, what he wrote and said he wanted to see people wearing some nice Zodiac buttons. Which probably happened. Well, he goes on to say in a letter dated the 26th of June 1970 that he was upset that people weren't wearing Zodiac buttons. I'm actually quite, I like, if that happened nowadays, instant, like, instant yeah. merchandise. Yeah, absolutely. Someone like, would merchandise it. But we 1970. Have time, man. Oh, absolutely. Like, this one is actually getting nicer as it goes down. Oh, there, okay. So. You know what? I can get behind it a bit now. Mm hmm. So, so he sent them a, a, a letter saying that he was, he was upset that people weren't wearing buttons with his symbol on it. And then in the same letter, he said, I shot a man sitting in a parked car with a 38. Potentially, this is said to be referring to a murder of Sergeant Richard Richard Rantich. Rantich, I think, a week early on June 19th. He was apparently this guy at 5.25 in the morning. He was writing a parking ticket, sat in his police car, when somebody came up to the car, shot him in the head with a 38 caliber pistol, and then left. However, despite the Zodiac claiming responsibility, the San Francisco Police Department denies that this was a Zodiac killing. Okay. Um... I haven't been able to find any reason why they denied it, but they seem to think this was somebody else. Hmm. That's mm. weird. Yeah. Not sure about that one. Mm-hmm. Including in the letter, there was a roadmap of the San Francisco area, and on the image of Mount Diablo, they ha- the Zodiac had drawn a, a, a cross-circle sim- symbol, similar to ones he'd used previously, and at the top of the circle he wrote a zero, and then a three, a six, and a nine. And and some instructions that said a comp- uh, that said the zero was to be set to magnetic N, so magnetic north, I would assume. Mm. And uh, the killer claimed uh, that they they also had a thirty two letter cipher in there uh, that the killer claimed would be able to use to find a bomb that they'd buried the bomb I mentioned earlier that would go off in the fall. 
Yeah, I, um, I'm sure I have very little idea what ciphers, I, how ciphers work. Mm. Like, I know the basics, but... Well, it depends like, on what sort of kinds of ciphers you're using. There's one that you need a word for annoying, right? Well, or, yeah, there's some... You need another code. Some ciphers, mm. uh, some of the best ciphers, at least for encoding stuff, are things like book ciphers, where you refer to words on particular pages of particular books. Um, that one was used in uh, an episode of Sherlock, the BBC series. That's with, pretty cool. Yeah, with the uh, where they used the London A to Z as that, the yes. as the key book. But this has been used throughout history with various books. There's um, at least one example. I forget exactly who it was that used the American Declaration of Independence as a key document. Are you sure that wasn't Nicolas Cage movie? Uh, it may well have also been included in the Nicolas Cage movie, but I know at least one okay. person has used it. I might just be thinking National Treasure. Yeah, it may have also <laughs> been used in National Treasure. And I'm sure people have used things like the Bible. Just the books that are widely available. <laughs> we have to do the Declaration of Independence. Well, you can get... <laughs> I love that film. Yeah. <laughs> I really like that film. But yeah, other ciphers use all kinds of things, like simple substitutions, code words... Something like the Enigma, which uses a constantly changing series of substitutions and scrambles. Um, Vignette ciphers, which use keywords, all sorts of stuff. Mm. So yes, um, this letter with the, the bomb map in it was signed again with the Zodiac symbol, this time equals 12, uh, San Francisco Police Department 0. So he's claiming another two murders at this point. And so then, there was another letter. So at this point, the Zodiac appears to have decided to stop killing people and start sending letters more and more to uh, newspapers, which I guess is quite good because less people are getting murdered. This was the 24th of July, 1970. Uh, the San Francisco Chronicle, again, got a letter in which the Zodiac took credit for the abduction of Kathleen Johns uh, four months after. So that, at that point, confirming that this guy absolutely was the Zodiac. And then he sent them another letter two, two days later, uh, in which she paraphrased a song from the Mikado about making a little list, the Gilbert, the Gilbert and Sullivan operetta. Uh, and he, he added his own songs to the, uh, his own lyrics to the song about the little list. So he was a poet. Yeah, apparently de- uh, detailing the ways that he planned to torture his slaves in paradise. What so cheeky bastard. Yeah, he's still, he's still on the gathering slaves plan, apparently. And he signed this again with uh, his symbol, this time with a 13, so claiming another murder. However, there doesn't seem to be any evidence for these murders, so potentially he's making it up at this point to try and mm. scare people. And on this letter, he, he left a clue that said that uh, the Mount Diablo code from the previous letter concerns radians and inches along the radians. So somebody looked at this hint, and a guy called Gareth Penn uh, realised that a radian angle when placed over the map, as the Zodiac had described pointed to two locations of Zodiac murders. So hmm. this guy was clearly playing games and then was annoyed when people couldn't solve his games and so decided to give them clues. Uh, but it didn't actually give them any information because it just told them where murders had already happened, which hmm. they knew about. And so then there was another card on the 7th of October sent to the Chronicle again. So obviously he's decided on his favourite newspaper at this point. Uh, it's a 3 by 5 inch card signed by the Zodiac with the normal symbol and a small cross which is apparently drawn in blood, although it doesn't haven't been able to find any evidence as to whose blood it was, or even if it was tested. Um, okay. And this time, the message, rather than being handwritten, was uh, made in the sort of classic uh, criminal's note style by posting, pasting words and letters from a newspaper yeah. from an edition of the Chronicle. So he had a famous one. Yeah, uh, with 13 holes punched across the card, which I can only guess correspond to the 13 murders he's claiming at this point. And the police who were involved 
said that it was highly probable that this came from the Zodiac. What a dick. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Then, October 27th, uh, and a reporter, this, rather than sending it just to the paper, a specific reporter called Paul Avery, who'd been covering the Zodiac murderer, got a, a card uh, signed with the letter Z and the Zodiac's symbol. It was a Halloween card, apparently. Uh, and inside the card, there was a note that said, Peekaboo, you are doomed. Yeah. Uh, apparently this was taken very seriously and made the front page of the Chronicle. I've not uh, heard that one, actually. Yeah. And then soon after this, Avery got another letter, this one anonymous, alerting him to some similarities between the Zodiac murders and a murder at a place called Riverside in Los Angeles that occurred four years earlier and apparently was similar to a Zodiac killing. This murder had happened in 1966, so a couple of years earlier than the Zodiac killing supposedly started, and was a murderer of an 18-year-old called Sherry Bates, who was a student at Riverside Community College, uh, who apparently spent the evening in the campus library until it closed at 9pm, and then neighbours reported afterwards hearing a scream about 10.30, so an hour and a half after she left the library. Uh, Bates was found dead the following morning, close to the library, between two abandoned houses. Uh, Her car was nearby, and the distributor cap had been pulled out. This girl had been beaten and then stabbed to death and a watch, a man's watch, had been found nearby. A month earlier, uh, sorry, a month, uh, a month later, sorry, in November, later, some letters were mailed to the Riverside Police and a newspaper called the Riverside Press Enterprise, uh, where somebody provided details of the crime. The letter was titled The Confession, uh, and whoever sent it said that she wasn't his first victim and she wouldn't be the last. Hmm. Hmm. And a poem was found in December, carved into the bottom side of a desk in the library, titled Sick of Living, Unwilling to Die. Apparently the poem's language and handwriting resembled that of the Zodiac. He did like his songs. Yeah. And it was signed with initials that were assumed to be an R and a H. So some people believe that this was written by the Zodiac. Some people think it's unconnected. Uh, it's one of the more spurious sort of side facts. I was trying to think of a funny name, but it didn't work. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. In 1971, on the 13th of uh, March, so we're jumping back to post-Zodiac murders now, a, uh, the Zodiac sent another letter, this time to the Los Angeles Times, choosing another newspaper this time, uh, and he credited the police with discovering his Riverside activity, uh, and saying that they only found the easy ones, and there's a hell of a lot more down there. Mm. So he appears to be claiming uh, uh, claiming that his killing started a lot earlier than he's been recognised for, and there was a lot more murders, potentially some of these 13 that he's claiming at this point. The thing is, none of them are that complicated. Like, I don't no. see why they'd be hidden. No, they're all, they're all very simple murders. Someone gets shot, someone gets stabbed. But at this point, they, there is two victims from the first murder... He's, he's literally killing people and running away. Like, it's not like... Like, surely they'd know about... Mm. Like, You'd think it's not this a... guy would be easier to catch. And probably today he would be with DNA evidence and things. But this was in a time where police forensics was very much still in its kind of infancy. This is true. Um, and so Wait, I, I would... Was profiling even a thing at this point? I don't know. Uh, what, DNA profiling? I, no, like just criminal profiling. Oh, like, criminal profiling. I don't, I don't I know. I think it was the 70s. Uh, potentially it was developed in the 70s, so most of this was going on in the 60s. 
I wouldn't be surprised at all that if, if the Zodiac killings happened today, he would be caught. I could be lying. I might have just watched too much Mindhunter. <laughs> you might have to look that one up. And, it's uh, a really good show. You should watch it. Yeah, I should. I definitely need to. And so in March, March 22nd, 1971, another postcard again to the San Francisco Chronicle addressed to Paul Averly, believed to be from the Zodiac, who appeared to claim responsibility for another disappearance of a woman called Donna Lass, who disappeared on the 6th of September, 1970. So this this was made from a collage of advertising and magazine letters, okay. and again was signed with the Zodiac's cross-circle symbol, uh, as usually expected. Lass was a nurse at a place mm-hmm. called South, in a place called South Lake Tahoe, uh, which will come up again when I start to talk about the people who are suspected of being the Zodiac. Uh, so she disappeared, and it's not known what happened to her. Um, and so, there's, and there's no definitive evidence to link her with the Zodiac, but she is a potential Zodiac victim. And so, after this point, the Zodiac remained silent for nearly three years. And then, on the 29th of January, 1974, the Zodiac sent them another letter. So the, again, to the San Francisco Chronicle. And in this one, he decided to, amongst other things, review the film The Exorcist, which apparently he'd seen. Uh, and he reckoned it was, I quote, the best satirical com- comedy I've ever seen. So he clearly found The Exorcist very entertaining. Um, it also included another snippet of verse from the Mikado. So apparently this guy likes murdering people, Gilbert and Sullivan, and The Exorcist. And then there was a symbol at the bottom of this letter that, uh, that remains unexplained. And the Zodiac left a new score on the bottom of this. Uh, me, 37, San Francisco Police Department, zero. So he claimed to have jumped from thirty-seven, uh, from 13 murders to 37 in the space of three years. Mm. So there were a few more letters after this, but most of them don't seem to be genuine Zodiac. Okay. And so now we're going to talk about some people who may be the Zodiac killer. Two okay. people who are probably not... The, well, none of these have definitive evidence, but some of them have quite quite strong circumstantial evidence linking them to the crimes. Okay. So the first one, and probably least likely, uh, is a man called Earl Van Best Jr. Uh, the fact that he was the Zodiac was proposed by his son, Gary Stewart, who wrote a book about it. And claims that the whole operation was a police cover-up. Thanks, son. Yeah. <laughs> so, Elvan Best Jr. does bear a striking resemblance to the composite image, but there again, so does Ted Cruz, so I'm not sure that proves very much. Mm. And that does have the same number of letters in his name as there are in the My Name is Cypher. Yeah. And his handwriting, uh, in the book, he claimed, um, Gary Stewart, the son, claims that his father's handwriting from his marriage certificate matches the handwriting from the Zodiac letters. And this is assuming that he even put in the right amount of letters for his name. Well, yeah. Like, he's obviously clever as fuck. Like, mm. he might be a narcissist, but I don't well, think yeah. he's probably not an idiot. And, well, this was this was a theory for a while until some people did some investigation after this book came out and uh, went to the people who keep the marriage records and in the place where he was married. Turns out he didn't write his marriage certificate. The priest did. So the fact that the handwriting on his marriage certificate matches the Zodiac's handwriting means most likely nothing, or on an incredible off chance, that priest is the Zodiac killer. <laughs> so, no. Earl Van Vest Jr., not the Zodiac killer, okay. in my opinion. Uh, our second suspect, Lawrence K., who, was, who went by Lawrence Kane, 
who was involved in a car accident in the 60s, which made him unstable because he had brain damage. And uh, the letters K-A-N-E also appear in the My Name Is cipher, which some people use to, uh, to sort of link him with the murder. Okay. That one's a little bit loose. However, now we get on some evidence that is a little bit more substantial. Darlene, uh, the second victim of the Zodiac Killer, yep. had a sister who said afterwards uh, that Kane had followed and harassed Darlene in the weeks leading up to, their mur- to her murder because he lived in a similar area. And he, as I say, he, he also looks a lot like the... Uh, he looks a bit like the composite and uh, fits the description very well. Mm. And one of the two officers who'd been in the police car who drove past the Zodiac and ignored him, uh, ID'd Kane as being the man he'd seen on the street that day. Mm. Yeah. Um, however, he he fits the that description quite well, but was not at all a heavy set man, and so didn't really uh, fit the description okay. from the earlier murders. Um, another piece of circumstantial evidence is that he lived very, very close to where Stein picked up the his murderer in his in his cab and when the police investigated him they found again circumstantial evidence that placed him close to various other murders at the times that they happened and also in 1970 just before the disappearance of Donna Lass who was the potential final victim of the zodiac uh, Kane moved to South Lake Tahoe and worked with Donna Lass which makes some people think that he was her murderer also, Kathleen Johns, the woman who spent 90 minutes in the car with the Zodiac, ID'd Kane as the person she'd spent 90 minutes with. So, there's some strong evidence linking him potentially to the later stuff, but not so much for the earlier stuff. Mm. And now, our final one, who was also potentially has the strongest but still circumstantial evidence... Uh, is a man called Arthur Lee Allen, who is probably the strongest suspect uh, for the Zodiac killings. So the first piece of evidence that links him to the murders is that on the day of the Lake Barriassa murders, where the man came uh, was hiding behind the tree and then came out in a hood, uh, Arthur Lee Allen was at Lake Barriassa, and he told everyone that he was going scuba diving in the lake. However, he came home with blood on his clothes and carrying a bloody knife. So either he did something else that day that got blood on his clothes, or he was the Zodiac killer. And two years later, a friend of his called Don Cheney said that Alan referred to himself as the Zodiac before the Zodiac killings were a thing. That's fucked up. Yeah, and that he just referred to himself as the Zodiac as a personal How nickname. How again? Uh, Arthur Lee Allen, yeah. uh, he was around his 30s or 40s, I think. Uh, let me. Okay, so it wasn't just like a, a, a kid's nickname. No, 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 no. This this guy was an adult. Uh, he was born in 1933. Oh, wow. He, that's a yeah. mugshot. Yeah, that, that, is, that is a mugshot and a half. Yeah, he was born in Hawaii in 1933, so would have been about 36, uh, 33. About 36, 36, 37 at the time of the killings. Uh, and most of the, most of the, that fits with most of the descriptions yeah. that were given. And so, yeah, uh, Cheney also claimed that 
Alan said he was going to hunt people with a gun and a flashlight, which is what happened in the second murders. Mm. And when he was interviewed by police, police did actually arrest him uh, on suspicion, uh, but never managed to find enough evidence to charge him. Uh, They interviewed him and he said his favourite book was a book called The Most Dangerous Game, uh, in which humans are hunted. It's a pretty famous book, right? Yeah, it is a pretty famous book. And apparently it was was his favourite. And it was also referenced in one of the letters to the Chronicle by the Zodiac Killer. Okay. Uh, And he also, this was... Potential, very circumstantial, and I mentioned the uh, he had a Zodiac brand watch with the Zodiac brand symbol on it. That's circumstantial as shit. That is circumstantial as shit. That's just like that could just be something edgy. Oh, absolutely. (laughs) But it could give a reason why he picked that symbol. If he was like, "What symbol should I use?" Oh, let's get it off my watch. (laughs) So circumstantial as fuck. Okay, so he just wanted people to have it. His watch. He's like, my my watch is popular now. I had it. He called himself the Zodiac, and he had a Zodiac brand watch. And so the police searched his house. Well, I say house. He lived in a trailer. Uh, So they searched his trailer. And in the freezer, they found dissected small animals. That's fucked up. Holy yeah. shit. And they also found several bloody knives in his house, potentially from dissecting the small animals. Like, like I see more neatly done as well. Yeah, I would assume so. Like, when you say dissected. I yeah, like... like, properly dissected and stored in his freezer. That's and apparently they also, they also found a large array of sex toys in his, uh, in his, um, in his trailer, which becomes rather concerning when you find out that in 1974, he was jailed for three years for child molestation. Wow. I Yeah. Wow. Uh, okay. Yeah. And the time that he was in jail exactly matches the three years in which the Zodiac Killer sent no letters. Potentially because he was in prison for child molestation. Wow. Yeah. That's, uh... Yeah. Wow. Mm-hmm. That's fucked up. Holy shit. Yeah. And then in 1987, a man called Ralph Spinelli, who was also a prisoner at the same time uh, and was associated with Alan, told police that Alan had admitted to Stein's murder whilst in prison. So that was the cab driver. Mm. And then, later, later still, so we're now going up to 1991, Mike Maggio, one of the survivors of the Zodiac killings, uh, picked out a photo of Alan as the man who had attacked him. So we've got different people IDing different people. Okay. And so at this point, they uh, they decided to search Alan's house again. And at this point, they found bombs. And they found diagrams for making bombs. And they found lots of tapes about the Zodiac Killer. So he's either a copycat or just the yeah. guy. Yeah. Um, well, if, if anything, uh, the if it was two people, Is it, it makes like, sense that this guy was the first Zodiac yeah. and Kane was the second Zodiac. At the same time, it, it feels like he might have just been a fanboy. Or he could have just been a massive <laughs> like, Zodiac fanboy. Um, like there, well, there must have been plenty, right? Yeah, but one thing that surprises me, despite finding explosives in his house, he wasn't arrested. What? Apparently it's perfectly fine to have... Ex- the, apparently whatever he had was not enough grounds to arrest him. Because he was a free man, and then a year later he was found dead in his home from a heart attack. Well, that's that's super. I assume the explosives would be like actually just straight up illegal. But yeah, okay. I, I would assume that if the police actually, search actually, your house. Wait, no, sixties. Yeah, this is this is uh, well, no, this is in the eighties at this point. Eighties, even then. This is the point we got to nineteen eighty-seven. 
Um, have you seen? Oh no, it? sorry, nineties. This is nineteen ninety one. They searched his house. That's fine because the nineties were weird. Yeah, this was this was. I'm a nineties kid. Like nineties were weird. This this was pre sort of large scale terrorism. Have you ever gone back and watched stuff from the nineties? It's fucking weird. Oh god, nineties is. I love yeah. it. <laughs> but yeah, so there is also some evidence that points to him not being the Zodiac killer. So um, in two thousand two, they managed to get a partial DNA sample off uh, one of the stamps um, which didn't match Alan at all it didn't match any of them actually um, however Alan was a bit of a strange fellow and was known for having other people lick his stamps for him whenever he sent letters so the fact that his DNA wasn't on the stamp doesn't mean anything because he could have just had someone else lick the stamp um, <laughs> also there was a fingerprint uh, left in the car uh, of, of Stein the, the cab driver uh, which didn't match Alan's. However, in one of the letters, Stein had bragged that he'd left... Uh, the, the Sorry. The Zodiac had bragged that he'd left a fingerprint as a clue for the police, uh, just just to torment them. So it would make sense that he may have left somebody else's fingerprint. Yeah. Uh, or he wasn't on the fucking fingerprint system. Yeah. yeah like, yeah. he might have just had no priors. Yeah. Well, I assume they fingerprinted him at some point, but it didn't match the one from the car. But again, the Zodiac yeah. bragged about that being there. Okay. So again, that doesn't mean anything. Yeah. Uh, also, his handwriting doesn't match. But again, to me, that doesn't mean anything. Like mm. You can fake handwriting. Uh, and also, he doesn't look at all like the, um, could just written it the Ted Cruz picture, I'm going to call it. Uh, as I say, I'm showing actually a picture of him now. Um, yeah. He doesn't look at all like the composite bring up, image. Bring up the composite again. Uh, the composite, uh, I think it's on this page. So yeah, that's the composite. And bring up Ted Cruz. Yeah, that's that's the Ted Cruz composite. So here's Ted oh Cruz God. and the Zodiac Killer. They're very <laughs> similar looking people. I wouldn't say that similar, but at the same time, it's really funny. Yeah, it, it is quite funny, like, especially the hairline. I don't think perfectly. they look that different. I don't think they look that similar, but it's, it's at the still same quite time, funny. From the this, sketch, this like, one. from a sketch, it's a police enough. a police sketch from a recollection of some teenagers who saw a murder. Yeah, exactly. So, like, like, like it's similar enough. Yeah, kind of Ted Cruz looks a lot sadder. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that's really mean. Murdered but, lots of people. That's really mean, but like you know, um, you know what I mean. It's got the eye, the sad eyes. Yeah, like I, I'm pretty sure Ted Cruz definitely not. Um, but yeah, so he fits the the early descriptions of a stocky man who's about the right weight, about the right age, but he doesn't look like the composite image at all. So there is no conclusive proof as to who the Zodiac killer is, and so it's unsolved and will probably stay unsolved at this point. Yeah, he's probably dead by now. <laughs> yeah, like, like um, Alan is dead. I think Kane is dead. Yeah, so th- this 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 man was apparently in his thirties in the nineteen sixties. Yeah, he must be dead by now. So like. at this point, he's very very old if he's still alive. Yeah, like um, how many years is that? Holy shit, that's like what fifty eight years. Yeah, it's another fifty eight years. So he's in his eighties or nineties if he's still alive. And most likely he's dead by now. Yeah. Um, and so we're not going to get any confessions. And so the Zodiac Killer will probably remain um, unknown forever. Yeah, that's... But it makes a very good story. I need to watch that movie again, man. Yeah, yeah, it's it's there's, an excellent film. There's so much that I thought I knew that I didn't know. Mm-hmm. Or I'd just forgotten. Oh, yes. I first learned about Zodiac Killer when I was, it was at least 10 years ago. Yeah. So, um... Yeah, that's, 
I must, I've probably forgotten a lot. Mm-hmm. I, things I can always recognise a reference to him. Oh I yeah, think. the Zodiac Killer is one of the most famous murderers ever. The the Zodiac Killer did spawn some later copycats. Um, there's, there was a guy called Eddie Cedar, uh, who was known as the New York Zodiac, who killed several people between 1990 and 1993. And there was also the Kobe Child Murders. I've heard um, of that one. Yeah, which happened in 1997, who were... Uh, also suspected to be a, a Zodiac copycat. Um, but yeah, the... Was that one solved, Rick? It was, was it? I don't think so, no. Um, let's see. So, I know I've heard of that one. Though. Oh, was no, great. he that was... That was famous one. Yeah, it was a juvenile offender, so he was convicted as Boy A. Oh, okay. And so he was never identified. That's really fun. <laughs> yeah. Who uh, was apparently released in 2004 on a provisional basis and released fully in 2005. Oh, so shit. whoever whoever the Japanese copycat in the Char- Kobe child murders was is now a free man again. The the New York copycat um, was was caught uh, and imprisoned for two hundred thirty two years. So uh, I think he's he's going to be in prison a long time. Yeah, man, it's good, good choice. Yeah, like I, you can't go wrong with a Zodiac killer. No, it's it's like, it's a very good story. Yes, was that all of it? Yeah, that's that's the story. Eh? Okay, then in that There's... case, we'll cut to music. Yeah, yeah, and then we'll be back with an outro. Mm-hmm. And ba da ba da ba. And we are back. So, um, outro, outro, outro. Um, first of all, Elliot, do you have anything to plug? Do I have anything to plug? Or give um, people shout-outs to or whatever. Ooh, ooh, ooh. I should have thought about this beforehand. No one does. I'm trying, I'm trying to think. All the things I can shout out at University of Birmingham things, which probably have no relevance to your it's, main listener base in Sydney. It doesn't... Shout-out to all those people listening in Sydney, who are apparently the... Uh, the biggest listening city to this podcast. Last month, yes. Yeah, last in the last month, Sydney has been our biggest listenership. So uh, yeah, and the biggest country was the US by with seventy point something. Percent. Yeah, so apparently Americans and specifically the residents of Sydney love this podcast. So if you live in a place other than those, tell your friends. I mean, one of our promos is from some from, from Sydney, I believe. Ah, it might okay. just be Australia. It might, it might just be it might, it might be Melbourne, though. I'm not sure. Mm. But um, either way, it's the person that does Good Nightmares, and I love okay. her. Her name is Sarah. She's very nice. Be nice to her. Go listen to her podcast. Sarah, I'll be listening to your podcast. <laughs> okay, so... Plug? I don't think I've got anything to plug. Or anyone to shout out to? Like, I, you can just like random people, be like, hi, mum, or... <laughs> so I, I, I'm going to give a shout out to the University of Birmingham Vampire LARP Society, who all should be listening to this. Uh, you've had two weeks in a row of Vampire LARP members. So oh, yeah, uh, Hannah, Hannah is hard. Yeah, her, so Hannah last week is uh, one of our vampires, and also me. So uh, if any of you are at the University of Birmingham, come along. If you're not, start your own Vampire LARPs. It's really fun. I, I approve of gigantic nerds like myself. Yes, massive nerds. Fine, you're one of us. Yeah. Now my shout-outs. Ah, who have we got a shout-out, actually? Oh, God. I've, I thought I wrote them down, but I, don't, I haven't written them. Oh, okay. Podcast I'm listening to the main when I I started this last night uh-huh. and because uh, they got in contact with me on Twitter okay and I listened to a couple episodes that they recommended yeah and it's got a lot of first and observations yeah it's called Pretend Radio yeah because I I actually I actually loved it I got carried away and mm-hmm. listened to like a lot of it yeah 
Yeah, it's basically it's about people. It's about real people pretending to be other people. Oh, cool! That's so he's that's had um, interesting. So he had the FBI undercover agent. He had a cult. He had a mm-hmm. serial killer. Nice. And I can't remember the other one that I haven't got to yet. Uh huh. I've only listened to those so far. But I listened to him. And uh, also, well, I can do some podcasts that I've been listening to if you want me to. Oh yeah, that was some shouts. Yeah. Um, so some podcasts I've been listening to. Not personally affiliated at all, but the the creepy podcast uh, do dramatic readings of various creepy pastors. Uh, that's what I've been going to bed with for the last few days. I just listened to their uh, reading of the Ted the Caver creepy pasta, which it's is an excellent one. It that inspired our episode four. Ah, okay. Oh, I remember episode four because that, do you remember that... the message I sent you when I was listening to episode four? I believe it was something along the lines of that was the most horrifying thing I've ever heard. Yeah, I was going to bed and like. I, I usually listen to this podcast when I'm going to bed on a Tuesday evening. I get to episode four and I'm like, what? No. Like, if there's something I don't like, it's the thought of being trapped in a cave. I just remember what the other shout was. Aha. Like, I know it's talking about a lot, but all bad things again. Yes, yes. Uh, because, uh, but, uh, because, yeah, Rachel just passed the last of her IRS exams. Woo! Uh, They're so, Rachel. And I, I, I love these two so much. <laughs> They're like some of my favorite people ever. Uh-huh. <laughs> like, um yeah so uh congrats rachel and yes congratulations i bet those exams are really taxing i'll I'll allow it i'll allow it (laughs) 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 and uh yeah so uh congrats rachel Uh, start listening to this podcast as well it's about disasters and stuff basically and um oh i have listened to this one because i listened to the one about the who concert that you sent me yes and um Anyway, so that's that bit done. All right, like I said a couple of times now, we've got a Patreon coming up. Yes, Patreon. Uh, I've had some think, thoughts about how I'm going to do it now. Mm-hmm. And I'm just like, any full episodes that are along the lines of this podcast are going to stay free. I don't. Like, yeah, yeah. I I don't want to like put anything down. I don't. It's not. I don't want to be like it's taking things away. Yeah, I don't want a paywall thing. Yeah, so. like no matter what, I'm not going to be taking things away. I'm gonna have like I'm gonna have stuff that's. Patreon is for bonuses. Yeah. Like, Blood and the Rocks is going to be Blood and the Rocks. It's not going to change. Yeah. Uh, so, like, Serial Killers, whatever, it's not going to be on the Patreon. Mm-hmm. But stuff that I will have, like, what for, like, $1 ones, I'm just going to be like... Yeah. You, like, you just get a thank you or whatever. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm going to have, like, $1, $3, $5. I don't want to have too much. Yeah, makes sense. Classic like, Patreon model. Like, $3 will have, uh, like, stuff like... Some outtakes, maybe mm-hmm. some content, uh, and then the five dollar one, which basically because because I, I want it to be like more of a you've chosen to put it that much rather mm-hmm. than it's because you're buying something. Yeah, uh, I'll be I'll gonna have some off-topic episodes there. Yeah, maybe like yeah. Uh, stuff that wouldn't fit with this or stuff mm-hmm. that'd be too short for an episode. Oh, absolutely. Um, so like at some point I might talk about some like other stuff I like that isn't related to this, like tabletop or fucking invite mo- me back if you want to talk yeah. about tabletop or stuff. movies or whatever yeah. like. It won't, I've wait, like, I'm not going to take anything away from this show because it's... Yeah, absolutely. Because in the end, it's only here because of people listening. Mm-hmm. So either way, no, my, I don't want episodes aren't going to change. Wait. Even more, actually. Basically, yeah. How, how much do they have to pledge for you to post them a little bit of your beard? <laughs> <laughs> Let me think. That, that might be a bit much, we'll see. <laughs> Send us a message. How much would you pay for a bit of Akshay's beard? <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. Uh, I'm not sure if anyone wants my bodily parts, but we'll see. 
You could clone another action and have your own yeah. personal we'll podcast. We'll see. It is the internet. Yeah. You never know on the internet. That's my that's my thoughts on the Patreon so far. Yeah. I will be... I'm thinking maybe doing it in a couple more weeks. And, yeah. Uh, so I want, I want to think about it first because I... also got some good ideas I want to, what to do on the Patreon. I want to make it so, like, it's more people... Like, people get more rather than yeah. me, t- me taking away. And, no, absolutely. We've I'm trying to figure out how to make stuff. that work. I can't even promise that it's going to be regular yet. Yeah. Until after... Like, after after all my university stuff. Yeah. Then I can make things more regular. Yeah. But when it, when it starts up, it's going to be more just... This is how much you're getting... Like, you're giving me... And then, if any more, you might get some extra stuff just, yeah, just to yeah. thank you, yeah. and not as a something that you're trying to get. Well, there's another question. What would you like to see from a Patreon? Pretty much. What like, kind of things would you like to hear Akshay do? Yeah, basically, uh, like, if people can't afford it, I might, like, yeah. I'd, like, I could just give them at least a couple episodes and be yeah. like, no, because I, I don't want to, like, I don't want to just be, like, charging you. Yeah, it's, it's, you don't want to make it a subscription thing, otherwise you won't get your listeners, but, uh... I, no, I just really like my listeners, they're very nice to me. Yeah, yeah, be nice to <laughs> like, make fun podcasts. Uh, yes, anyway, so, uh, what's the cool thing of the week? I know, I know it's on YouTube. Oh, the cool thing of the week? Alligators dig the deepest holes of all animals, apparently. I know, it, uh, I got told that by my housemate, and it freaks me the fuck out. Mm. Uh, Alligators I, digging holes. I googled it. Yes. It's a Nile crocodile. Yes. And how deep a hole does it dig? I believe it was tw- it was 12 metres. That's a big hole! Wait, let me check. Yeah, they di- they can- Nile alligators can dig up to 12 metres deep, which, that's really fucked up. That's a long way. Why do Nile alligators feel the need to dig holes that 12 well, metres deep? Because as soon as he told me that, I went on my phone and Googled it, because uh-huh. that, that freaked me out. Yeah. And apparently it's basically because uh, during dry seasons, the water stays in there. Okay. It draws animals to to the holes. So that right. that's really fucked up. I yeah. ha- I hate that. I, hate I never thought. I hate it so much. <laughs> Today I also realised that that everyone is called a gallop, and I hate that as well. <laughs> Alligators galloping. Wow. Because they go really fast. Yeah. Like it's, it's like, like a horse. At least two. At least two and a half times faster than humans. Basically, don't don't go near the alligators. Don't don't go near holes. They might have alligators in them. Yeah. In Egypt. I mean, if there's one thing you learn, if there's one thing you should learn from this podcast is never go in a hole. Yeah, don't go, don't go in holes. <laughs> like holes are bad. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, so yes, uh, we've done our shout to all bad things, mm-hmm. and Rachel, we've done our Patreon. Okay. Yes. Okay. And uh, my cool thing of the week because I think it's really cool, and mm-hmm. uh, I'm a huge gamer. I love the gaming community. Yeah. Uh, and also, mental health is very dear to me. Yeah. Basically, the checkpoint organization. Uh, who are a non-profit charity, yeah. um, basically done a intro to mental health featuring people like Ken Levine from Bioshock and stuff like that. Oh, cool. Uh, on, and they just released their first their first episode called Intro, intro to Mental Health, and it's mm-hmm. bas- it basically explains like some of the basic... At least this video, I'm not sure what the yeah. rest going to be like. The rest is going to be more, more detailed. Yeah. This one basically um, starts introducing you to mental health stuff in the context of video games. Oh, that's really cool. So all the things you need to know about, about mental health, with people that you know from video games, yeah, I mean, not all of them are actually like celebrities, but but like in the context of them, like yeah. um, being like this treatment is similar to this kind of game. Like, oh wow, you know, okay, like, that's cool. Some like uh, some like MMOs, some a bit, yeah. like RPGs. That's a bit of a different way of presenting a very important topic. Either way, I really enjoyed it, and uh, I'd recommend checking it out. It's so if you just Google it, it's Intro to Mental Health hash, hashtag Checkpoint Series featuring Ken, Ken Levine. Um, I will definitely check that out. Yeah, I did share it on Twitter recently, mm-hmm. and uh, I'll, I'll at least uh, like I always um, tag people in the Twitter posts yeah. or whatever. Yeah. So um, you can 
find it there. Mm-hmm. Social media. Yes, social medias. Um, we have Facebook at mm-hmm. facebook.com slash blood under rocks. We have Twitter at the bloody rocks. Mm-hmm. We have email at botlpodcast at gmail.com. Tell your friends because it uh, makes me really happy. Yeah, tell your friends, all of you. Okay, uh, we're going to cut to music here, but uh, actually, we can cut the music here and, I'll, and afterwards I'm going to come back and uh, I just want to spend put a bit of time to read the reviews we've had so far. Oh, wonderful. Because I've forgotten to do that so far. And I want to, um, and like, I think after this I'll put before the credits, but yeah, I want to catch up. So and yeah, okay, do some reviews. There's 15 so far, so it's like I'll do it after the music. Sure. So if people want to listen, to it, they can. But, mm-hmm. Yeah. I wait. I'm very grateful and thank you for for them. Yes. Uh, and I will see you next Tuesday. Bye. If you're still here, thanks for sticking around. Like, um, because I want to just give some shout-outs to people that have given me reviews and stuff, because mm-hmm. I have read them all. Yeah, it, like, I'm really flattered, actually. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I'm really flattered, so <laughs> I'm going to just start reading them. But uh, Okay, so first of all, our first review was from Sarah Good Nightmares Again. Ah! It was our first review. She's so nice. Mm-hmm. Uh, and she said her review uh, was titled Binge Worthy. <laughs> saying, it absolutely is. Saying, I listened to every episode in a day and loved each one. Great and very topics. Good energy and a nice touch of humour. She's very sweet. I like her. Yeah, she's lovely. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then Yolanda from Not, Func- Not Perfect or Functional Podcast also, t- also gets in a review saying mm-hmm. uh, interesting topics, such interesting, to- such interesting stories. I love that there are several topics per episode. Can't wait to hear more. I'm learning lots of new things from Yolanda. That's pretty good. So uh, thanks, Yolanda. Uh, I I like your podcast a lot as well. <laughs> uh, I have listened. To, I've listened to a fair few now. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> and another and the first the first few podcasts. Yeah. Um, and another one that I is another podcast that I adore called Dark Divide Pod, and it's from the, it's so well done. You should mm-hmm. like. You should listen to I'm it. I'm finding loads more podcasts I need to listen to. There's only a few episodes out so far. You just released a new one I did yesterday, mm-hmm. and it's I'm still not used to it, but I keep. But I've been seeing the Twitter, and it's like, and everyone's been like, that episode was amazing. <laughs> my my feelings are like leaking out of my chest. Oh wow, okay. But yeah, I've listened to the first three episodes so far, uh-huh. and they're really really good. I I think that's a new that's one of the more recent podcasts that has something special going for it. Yeah, no, there's not many episodes, but it's it's something special. I think. Mm-hmm. And then we have Minusha Men, yes. who are great. Um, they said creepy, modern, fun. Uh, very interesting, modern podcast. Topics are engaging and certainly ghastly. Yeah, perfect show. Yeah, perfect show to listen to in a dark room alone in a cemetery in Transylvania. Shout out to our listeners in Transylvania cemeteries. I know. They're, I like them as well. They're really funny. Mm-hmm. Pauline, yeah, who I believe is just a fan. Uh, just I, a fan. I, and. I say just fan, but I love my fans. Yeah, like <laughs> you're allowed to be a fan and not have your own podcast. Exactly, but it's the first one that wasn't a podcast, and I, mm-hmm. I, I that, if anything, that makes them more special. Yeah, yeah, like, and yeah, so I'm very happy. Yeah. So thank you, Pauline. Mm-hmm. 
I'm re- like, I'm re- like that. Honestly, I remember I remember that cut that review coming through because it really cheered me up that day. Oh. And she said, uh, "Keep up the great work. Really enjoy your stories, your narration, and voice excellence for pods." Uh, very sweetly touched with the story at the end in regards to episode ten. Uh, Remind me which one was with, episode ten? Uh, British Jeffrey Dahmer and it, oh uh, yes, had yes. a bonus story at the end. Uh, truly warmed my heart on Christmas Eve. Happy Christmas, Pauline. Oh. And uh, thank you, Pauline. I'm really happy you're listening and you're enjoying it. Mm-hmm. And then we have um, Zimbaline the Thirteen uh, that gave me the five star mm-hmm. review, saying great pod. Really good researching and fantastic delivery. Thoroughly enjoyed the British Jeffrey Dahmer episode, which seems to be our like our group like the public favorite. Okay, Jeffrey um, Dahmer. Yeah, uh, it was a good one. Yeah, can't wait to finish the rest of the pod off. Yeah, it's it's quite interesting because I've had a like I've had most episodes being like as someone's favorite. Yeah, um, I didn't realize I didn't think it'd be that varied, but um, apparently it is. Episodes I like less are some that are more liked as well. Yeah, and it's just yeah. and I think it's because I've like edited it down. Yeah, I've you've listened, listened to it so many times in the edit. It's like so I've also listened to everywhere it's been wrong. Mm. <laughs> but yeah, so uh, then we have um, C Misich. I don't know how to pronounce that. That's a hard to pronounce name, but thank you for thank you for commenting I, anyway. But I know who it is because it's Courtney ah. from Cortadas Tomasisti. And, uh-huh. I, and I adore her. She's amazing. Um, and she said, "Fun, mysterious podcast. If you're interested in ho- if you're interested in horror, true crime, and just strange occurrences, then listen in. Love it. <laughs> if you can hear typing, that's Elliot furiously typing a review. <laughs> I just realised I've never left a review. I've been listening since episode one. So uh, <laughs> on Stitcher this time. So you got, you'll actually be my first Stitcher review. Woo!" <laughs> There we have Joe Brady mm-hmm. uh, saying, brilliant, exactly what you want for a true crime podcast. And yeah, thank you, Joe, so much. Yeah. It means a lot to me. I hope you enjoyed the Zodiac. Yes. If you're a big true crime fan. Exactly. Like, I, I'm sure you picked well for her. Mm-hmm. All right, I'm sure to bring you a, a fair bit more in the future. Oh, yes, please invite me back. Yep. Uh, <laughs> I love doing this kind of thing. People always welcome back on. I, yeah. like, if you're nearby, I'm, I'm not very fussy with, with uh, my guests because I'm just like, any, in my opinion, anybody can tell a creepy story. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely anyone. You don't have to be a special... If you find a story you like, you can tell it. Like. Yeah. And you know where I live. It's not exactly far away. Yeah. Yeah. And everyone... Ha- I, I believe everyone has a story to tell. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Because uh, everyone's has heard of something and be like, that's messed up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but yeah, anyway, moving on. Now we have Kate, who is... Uh, I love one of my favorites mm-hmm. uh, on, on Twitter. Uh, who is also about to start the podcast. Woo! New podcast! And I'm excited for it, which is called Ignorance is Bliss. Ooh, um, good name. It's basically about crime psychology, the psychology behind it. Oh, nice. Rather nice. than actual crimes. She just released her preview recently, like a few days ago. Mm-hmm. She's so nice to me. Uh, You're going to have to give me a list of all these yeah. podcasts to listen to. Well, um, so you should go check out that podcast. Next up is uh, Phoebe Sophie. Saying, well done, I appreciate your sensitivity in handling tough cases, and uh, thank you, because I tried, but I'm never sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, it's one of these things, that, when you're that, doing a crime podcast, you have to... That made me feel a bit better yeah. after I put out that episode, because it was after episode 11 came out, with a uh, cruelty cemented. Oh, yeah, that, um, that was... yeah, And that was a hard... That, that was, was a, I can imagine that was a hard one to do. That was a... I was so sad after that episode. That is... And I did it, and, I was, and at the end, I turned it off, and I was like, I'm sad now! Yeah. <laughs> like... That's a, and that's the story that I've that I've known for years, known about for mm. years. And it's like 
it's it's different when you say it out loud. Yeah, it's like it's a horrific story. Yeah. That one. Now we have a uh, theme park films podcast uh, who are part of Britpod scene as well. Nice, and they're very nice to me as well. I like them. Saying like a podcast version of Rip, please. <laughs> uh, only better with only the gruesome bits. <laughs> Tales that make your ha- your hair stand on end. Well researched, well taught, and perfect for any fans of the dark and dastardly. Nice. And I really like the description because mm. I didn't I didn't even put that correlation together until they said it. Uh, so yeah, I I really enjoyed that. Like now, I, now sometimes I just I'm just like think of it like this mm. because I think that's a good description. Oh, absolutely. Because uh, I just like weird shit. <laughs> um, so yeah, thank you guys. They, their podcast is basically about um, movies and also the rides that were inspired by them. Ooh! Now I'm a big fan of theme parks. Yeah. So, so, so that's they another talk, one to listen to. So they talk about the film, then talk about the, uh, the the ride as well. Nice. And it's quite. I I enjoyed it. It's very good. Like if you want something that a bit light hard and funny. Yeah. And uh, just yeah, I really enjoyed it. Like movies and rides. There's a good yeah. podcast. Um, we have. Film Vault fan saying my favorite podcast. It could listen to it all day by Deb CT, mm-hmm. um, which also really cheated me up one day. Aww. <laughs> like, oh, like literally sometimes every now and then one day he's got someone just like, oh, send that shit. Good like, you, my, my my heart, like my heart. I, I read it. and I was like, my heart can't handle this shit. Aww. Like, <laughs> thank you, Deb. And then we have uh, Jessica. Oh, I assume it's Jessica. Because her username is it's Jessica ten twenty two. I would assume it is indeed Jessica then. Uh, saying really enjoyable. I'm very fascinated with the topics that I introduced in this podcast. They're all very new and unique, so I'm learning a lot. Mm. Keep up the great work, and I look forward to more episodes. Which is from Taiwan as well. Oh, wow. Which is amazing. International listening. Yeah, Mr. Worldwide. Yes. <laughs> uh, so thanks, Jess. Like It means a lot to me that you're listening. So yeah. uh, here's to you. Okay, next up is Noelle from Highland Life, which is... She's so nice. Uh-huh. Uh, she also has a podcast called Highland Life. <laughs> Have you met anyone that isn't nice and has a podcast yet, actually? They're, that's one of the things I like about podcasts. I mean, they're all really nice. Heard it here first. Like, podcasters are the best people like, in really, the world. Literally, like, I, every, like, anytime you hit a roadblock or something, you can just ask, like, you ask them and they just... They help. Like, people are so helpful and, not, mm-hmm. and like, supportive. And, like, they keep pushing you to, like, do well. And yeah. it's like, it's... It's one of my favourite things about the podcast community. Aww. Okay, so yeah, we had um, Noelle from High on Life, the uh, podcast. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's super nice, saying it's awesome, five stars. Nice. Uh, great podcast that discusses so many different topics, a lot of which I haven't heard many of podcasts cover. Mm-hmm. Thank you, because I, I, I hope, but I never really promise. Yeah, <laughs> no, it's trying to get a good range of podcast I, I can just pick things that I like. Yeah. And, uh, some I've like heard before, some of them brand new. That's but, the whole yeah. wonderful thing. It's less that I'm trying to do less known things, it's more that I'm just trying to do as many things as possible. Oh, absolutely. And there's I, so I much good stuff it. out there. Yeah. I too, there, there are a couple that I haven't done yet because they're covered by a lot of podcasts. Yeah. But I may do those anyway later on because yeah. uh, they're just really cool. Yeah, they're worth covering because you never know what podcasts people have and haven't listened to. So, yeah. Because uh, I was like, at least some people would not have heard it before and I wouldn't yeah. be that person. Anyway, so uh, next up is the last one, which just came in today, actually, by um, Soxlade. Mm-hmm. Um it was uh, from Admit One podcast, which is mm-hmm. another, another moot podcast. I nice. I really enjoyed it because at first I was like, I wasn't sure because it's got it's, uh, it's like based in the pub. It's, uh, okay. it's a lot of pub noise going on. Yeah. I was like, I wasn't sure. And then I listened to it about five five minutes. And I was like, 
I like this because it's, yeah, it's like, it, it kind of gives you that. Um, it's like having a chat with your mates down the pub. Yeah, like it's very atmos- like it's very much that mm. atmosphere, and I really enjoyed it. Yeah, and yeah, I'd recommend them. And uh, yeah, they they posted today saying well researched and grimly fascinating. Awesome. This is an enjoyable podcast looking at dark, grisly tales that both revolt and fascinate us. Well researched and excellently presented in a clear, matter of fact way that will only help heighten the horror, uh, heighten the horrors described. Mm-hmm. If you like dark, dark tales of real life horror or dark myths, uh, then this is the podcast to subscribe to. Nice. And that's the last All one. All round super positive feedback then. Yeah, everyone is so nice to me. I love yeah. It. Like, look, these people are like, so nice. I love uh-huh. my listeners so much. <laughs> I've had a few people t- like, message me on Twitter as well. Mm-hmm. And um, there, I I definitely remember all of you, like, you guys as well. Like, there's a few people I just talk to a lot. Yeah. I don't know if all of them listen, though. <laughs> but we, like, we had a Alexandria that I was talking to the other day. Oh, she yeah. was very nice. And she was quite excited for the last episode. Mm-hmm. Uh, I kind of, like, I got some. Like, oh, Maria Barber. Mm-hmm. And she, I, I love her as well. She's, like, she's, like such a big support. And, like, yeah. And, uh, she's very nice. Oh. I, I keep saying very nice. Like, it's different <laughs> every time. But, no, uh, she's really nice. Yeah. <laughs> like, I really like her. Oh. <laughs> like, she, like, retweets a lot and she talks to me and she messes me every now and then. Uh, and also Bella Parsons, who is from, yes. uh, who is also a super nice, and she's and she does Creepsville Pod, which is yeah. kind of cool. And yeah, she's very nice and uh, yeah. very cool. Uh, she has a lot of interesting interests. Yeah, like I'd be friends with her if she was near us. Oh. Uh, and yeah, so um, she's awesome anyway. And I think that we should, and I think we're done there. Yeah, I think that's all of our reviews. So, um, We'll cut to music again, mm-hmm. and uh, thank you for staying longer Yes, uh, for this little bonus segment. I will probably cut this so it sounds a bit better than when we dropped everything, but... Yeah, you have to subscribe to the Patreon if you want to hear what it sounds like when everything falls off the recording table. <laughs> <laughs> That's your first bit of Patreon content, actually. Uh, to be fair, I've saved a lot of uh, content from the other episodes. Oh, wonderful. <laughs> so, anyway, we'll cut there, and I will see you next week. If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at Midi Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And Midi can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com.